0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper. Today, joined by Jim Callis. Uh, on our, uh, we're doing a Skype call today, so getting one of our rare Jim Callis podcast appearances. Thank you for joining us, Jim. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And today, we're going to talk prospects, which I know we haven't, because of a couple of uh, technical problems, we haven't had as many prospect podcasts as we would like over the first half of the season, but we wanted to talk prospects today, especially we just released the midseason top 50 prospects list, and Jim and I were both involved in, in putting that together, so we wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a insight into the background on on how we put that list together, and, and really just kind of give you some opinions of of ours on some of the prospects. So, the... The mid-season top 50. I don't know about you, Jim, but to me, the mid-season top 50 is significantly tougher to put together than the preseason when we do our our top hundred. What do you think?
0: Oh, I think definitely, and I think that's because when we do the the preseason one, the target isn't moving. You know, the guys you know aren't even in spring training yet. We've just spent months putting together the prospect handbook, so we have you know a ton of scouting reports on guys, and they're they're fairly static. You know, the guys aren't going out. Not, nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's velocity's increasing or decreasing. So, I we know what we're dealing with. And I always feel like when the midseason list comes along, especially since I'm so heavily involved with our draft coverage, I'm glad to do it because it forces me to find out how guys are doing, not just statistically, but you know, you know, stuff-wise or tools-wise. But I just feel like I'm, I I just feel like I have a lot less knowledge or I feel a lot less comfortable with my knowledge going into this than I do the top 100.
1: Yeah, I, when we do the top 100, that's really kind of the culmination of everything that, that really starts uh, – the best way I can put it is it starts right now. I mean right now I'm sending out today best tool surveys and, and getting ready to talk to managers in the Florida State League for that. I, I know I think you have the Midwest League. And that starts, and then it goes from that to we have our, our league top 20s, which adds more information and, and kind of helps us sort that out. And, and usually you'll get a name of a couple of guys who, who haven't even popped up right yet uh, who will end up being intriguing prospects that, we, that comes out of those calls. And then we go from that to our team top 10s and for the prospect handbook, our team top 30s. So by the time we do the top 100 and we're working on that in February it really is kind of a feeling of okay we've been working on this for 6 months the midseason top 50 not that we're not following prospects but it, there's it's one of those balances of you don't want to go too far on this guy who's having a great year but you also want to make sure you're not being way too light on a guy who is having a great year who seemingly came out of nowhere Do you yeah see you know on
0: these yeah on these guys you know we you know we'll, we'll make a few phone calls and check in but but as you said you know, by the time we're doing the top 100 uh, you know, w- between all the people who compile information, we may have made you know as many as 15 calls on a guy. So you, you just feel like you have a lot more information on him.
1: Right, and I'll, I'll give a guy uh, an example of one guy here. Leonis Martin's on here, uh, who uh, we rank number 25. Leonis Martin, right now, we're going off a whole lot less information on Leonis Martin that we will have at the end of the season. Fair to say. I mean, we. Yeah. Right, he's, he's only, because of an injury, he only has, I think it's something like 100, 100, 150 at-bats. And that's the only U.S. action he has after signing with the Rangers as a Cuban defector. Well, by the end of the season, you have a longer track record statistically. You also have had more chances for more scouts to see him. And you've also had the chance to, you know, the Rangers even have a better feel for what that guy is than they do right now. So, it's one of those things where I I guess what we're trying to say is, is that the midseason top 50 I, I believe is important, but it is much more of a snapshot than, say, the, the the postseason top 100. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more fluid. And with that, now at the top end of it, though, I, I feel like that that was something where you can debate one and two either way you want to, or you can debate three and four either way you want to. But I, I feel like we we feel pretty confident that the top four prospects – are most definitely the top four prospects in the game right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that's fair. You know, with with Harper, Trout, Matt Moore, and Julio Teran, I think that's very fair.
1: Now, you when we were doing this, uh, you know, talking about the, we'll start with the top two. We have, our, our rankings have Bryce Harper number one, Mike Trout number two. Now, I was on the Harper number one side, but you made kind of a a pretty reasonable, a pretty con, you know, convincing case for for Trout as well. What what were your reasons that you would say that hey, you could make an argument for Mike Trout number one?
0: I, I just think he can. be – I think he can beat you in more ways than Bryce Harper can. I, I think when all is said and done with those two guys, and again, it's not you know when you when you have these discussions. I know you don't look at it this way. Sometimes fans are like, oh man, Jim hates Bryce Harper. or <laughs> JJ's down on Mike Trout, <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I had I had Bryce Harper too on my list. I just think. You know, yes, Bryce Harper. You know the power jumps out at you, but I think Mike Trout's a better hitter. I think he's going to have, you know, at least 20, maybe 25 home run power. I think he's going to provide a ton more defensive value as a quality center fielder. And I think, you know, especially with the Angels, the way the Angels run, if you told me Mike Trout wound up leading the lead the you know league or the majors in stolen bases one year, that wouldn't surprise me either. I just think he's a better all around player than Bryce Harper. That said, I think it's a coin flip when you're talking about those two guys.
1: Right. Trout is more, I mean, he's a center fielder, at least for now. And Harper's a corner outfielder. Although you can find a scout or two who will say, hey, you know what, if they wanted to put him in center field for the next several years, I think Harper could handle it. Um, He is a better runner, obviously. I mean, Trout's, considering his size, Trout's, Trout's an amazing size speed combo because he's linebacker size, but with, plus plus, I mean, or if you want to say, you know, it's it's eighty speed, uh, correct? Yes. And so you, there is that. Now, on the other hand, it with Harper, it kind of come down. To, it comes down to. Is Harper a, a future home run champ? Because I, I think it's fair to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I, you? I think so too. I the 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 closest guy. I mean, really, if you wanted to make the art. If you wanted to make a comp for for Harper, the the closest guy I can come up to as a comp is is that is think Mike Stanton with maybe even more power, which is hard to believe. But yeah, what do you think of? I mean, as far as just as far as what they're going to produce, that to me, Stanton was mashing homers from the minute he hit low A. Um, in Harper's case, Harper's are you know mash, was mashing homers in in JUCO, setting records with a wood bat, and then his hit the ground very much running in, uh, in low A. Now he's already up to double A. But it is, it's kind of the, the the all-around guy versus, with Harper, it really seems to come down to, if you believe that he's going to hit for average in addition to power, that's the argument for him, number one. If you think he's going to be more of a, a slugger with a uh, a solid but not a great average on base percentage, then the argument would be Trout number one, it would seem like to me.
0: Yeah, and, and that's where I guess I'm coming from. I, I see, and again, I mean, he's so young, and I almost hate putting guesses on Harper because uh, the guy's so talented, almost seems like a limit. Like, to me, it seems silly just to, like, for my minor leaguer, the most I guess I'd feel comfortable saying is, okay, that guy's a future 40 home run hitter. But if you were to tell me Bryce Harper's going to hit 40, more than 40 home runs in a season, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I just think the guy the guy's ridiculous. But I, I do think... At least more of the guys I've talked to see him as a guy who's you know obviously gonna hit for big power. You know, who's gonna strike out, you know, a fair amount and not be that high average hitter. You know, maybe more of a two seventy-five hitter. Where I think Mike Trout's gonna be a guy, especially when you factor in his speed along with his hitting ability, you know, my Mike Trout might be a guy who who's a future batting champion. So I probably I guess in my mind, or, you know, at least compared to the rest of the because I think I'm always the guy who advocates for trout, I probably Think there's a bigger difference in between what those guys are going to hit. You know, I think Trout will hit you know significantly more than than Harper will, and that I think the power gap is probably closer. Not that that Mike Trout's going to be hitting forty or fifty home runs or anything, but I do think Trout's going to be a twenty twenty five home run guy, uh, and so so that's why I have Trout number one. But but as we're both seeing here, and, you know, it's it's, it's both it's, these guys really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I I think with, if you ask thirty teams in baseball. If you had, if they had to pick between the two of those guys, and they had the second choice, I think they'd all say fine. You know, yeah, I, no, I'll no, take I'll, the second choice and be happy. Yeah, and and
1: now I think with Trout, you said you know you see him as a twenty home run guy down the road, and I can see that too because you look at his size and his strength. The the thing with him is is that he does not have. I had a question in the chat when we did after the top fifty on uh, on Friday, and the guy said someone was asking, so can you see Trout hitting twenty home runs? in the big leagues over the second half of the season. And it's like, well, okay, cool down a little bit right. here. Mike <laughs> Trout doesn't have really that much present power. I mean, he, he has 20 home runs in his professional career right now over a season and a half.
0: Right. I mean, he did hit nine this year and a half a season. I, I mean, I think he would hit 20 this year. But, yeah, he's, he's not going to come out and and go Mike Stanton on anybody here in the second half. He, he's not that kind of guy. But. Now and then,
1: once we did one two, I think it was also as we said, it was pretty clear that three four. We knew that it was going to be Matt Moore and Tehran in in one way or another, whether Moore was three or Tehran was four. In the preseason, we had Tehran ahead of Matt Moore, but now we flip that. And it's worth noting we did flip that before the the futures game, which it seems like at the futures game there was a whole lot of. Uh, of scouts and a whole lot of people looking at this and going, "Wow, that Matt Moore guy is really good."
0: Yeah, and I think you know it's, you know, I think one thing that f- factors in this a little bit and it does for me with Trout versus Harper too is where guys have proven themselves. You know, Trout's played well in Double A, Harper's played well in Low A, just got promoted. And I think coming into the year, we had you know Tehran had proven himself in Double A, uh, Matt Moore had proven himself in High A. But you know that said, you know, even though Tehran's gotten a cup of coffee this year, and, and you're not going to base anything on just winning in the Futures game. I think it would be very hard for anybody who saw Matt Moore in that one inning in the Futures game to imagine that there's a better pitching prospect out there right now. He was 96-98. You know, we knew he had velocity. I don't think that was a surprise. I, the most intriguing thing to me, J.J., about the Futures game for him was he threw three sliders. He struck out Alex Liddy on, a, I think, an 87-mile-an-hour slider. And I you know, tweeting during the game. I had a couple of people tweet back at me, you know, slider, he doesn't throw a slider, he throws a curve. I mean, if you're watching the game, I mean, it clearly had a lateral break, and I don't know of anybody who throws an 87-mile-an-hour curve anyway. Um, and so I asked, my, you know, more after the game, you know, is that slider a new pitch? And he was almost, uh, I don't know if sheepish is the right word, but just kind of shook his head, and he just said, you know, he said it was just more of a slurvy breaking ball. I wasn't staying on top of my, my curveball very well today, you know, I guess it had slider break, and you know, I don't think it was false modesty, but if you if anybody you know has the game on tape and you go back and watch the game, I mean, yeah, maybe he wasn't trying to throw it. He was trying to throw a curveball with more downward break, but he was throwing a nasty 86, 87 mile an hour slider by accident, which I, I just think <laughs> is a tribute to how quick that guy's arm is and how well he spins the ball. You know, most guys, if they're getting on the side of their curveball, are, are just hanging a pitch, and he, he's throwing an 86 mile an hour slider.
1: Well, and that was, to me, uh, uh, I talked to a scout, did a scout's view, actually, of, of a scout who'd seen both of them, and he said, to me, it's more, and there's two big reasons, one of which is is that Ty goes to the lefty. Sure. If you've got a left-hander and a right-hander, and you think that they're, they're both completely equal, well, you're going to take the lefty every time because it's harder to find a lefty, especially it's it's really hard to find a lefty who throws who can run it up to 98 miles an hour. But beyond that, the other thing he said was is that, if you look at the breaking balls, Matt Moore's breaking ball is significantly better right now than Julio Tehran's. And now that doesn't mean Tehran's a very young pitcher. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a chance to develop a breaking a better breaking ball, but it's pretty inconsistent right now. And the scout said his worry was is that Tehran may hit the big leagues really before he has a chance to fully refine that pitch. Whereas with Matt Moore, he sees he sees a three-pitch mix right now. And I've, you know, had someone... Uh, before, say, say to me, you know, if you look at more and compare him, this does not mean that he's better than all the lefties in the big leagues. But if you look at his stuff, you'd be really hard-pressed to find two, three lefties in the big leagues who have better stuff than him.
0: Well, I think that's very fair. And, and, again, I'm not saying he's better than this guy right now. But just, you know, you look at the Rays himself. You know, they've got an all-star lefty in David Price who's certainly been very successful and I don't think there's any question that Matt Moore's pure stuff is better than David Price's. Well, we should you know, we're talking about a guy who used to, you know, was a former number one overall draft pick. And yeah, he you know, now I think the question is with Moore you know, the, the Rays and it's worked very well for them, have had a lot of success developing young arms by moving them very slowly. But, you know, I wonder, I mean, a, I think the guy's ready for some triple A action. But B, you know, it's kinda like the Jeremy Hellikson situation from a year ago of, you know, Harry, where do we you know, and it probably won't be this year. But, you know, where do we find room for this guy in the rotation? I mean, Jeff Neiman, you know, might be the the odd man out because, again, it's it's not just the one inning in the futures game, but you know, if Matt Moore continues to develop in the second half of this season like he has in the last year and a half, how is that guy not in their big league rotation to start next year? I you know, I, I don't see how you could keep him out of it. Well, uh,
1: one thing with that is is I was I went back and did a little research on looking at the Rays, the current Rays starting rotation, and how how long they spent in double-A. And obviously and the Rays are very patient with their pitchers. David Price is almost – they were patient with David Price, but that was a different kind of uh, path than everyone else because he was such a – considered such a big league-ready pitcher when he came out. They still were slow with him, but he did move up to triple-A pretty quickly. But everyone else – had at least 17 double-A starts. And and several of the pitchers had 17 to 20 double-A starts before they moved up. Well, Matt Moore's hit that point. He's at 17 starts. So it wouldn't stun me if they did move him up to Durham at some point before too long. And then, yeah, it it is kind of... I I would say it's safe to say that there's probably 15 teams out there right now that if if Matt Moore was in that organization, he'd probably be in the big leagues right now. Because...
0: And here's the thing, too, JJ. I mean, the Rays obviously are a good team, but right now they're five games out of a playoff spot. It's. I almost wonder, at some point, do you just have to say, look, we got to get the guy in the big leagues and have him help us this year. Well,
1: but the other question is, is it? it's it's a big debate coming up. Okay, they're five games out of a playoff spot. You said you threw out Jeff Neiman might be the odd man out. Well, I'll tell you this. If they wanted to, you know, if they said, hey, James Shields is available, there would uh, a lot of teams lining up that he would probably move really to the front of the line as far as available starting pitching, wouldn't he?
0: Oh, I, I think no question. I mean, I you know I, I think that comes down too. I mean, do you want to trade James Shields or are you can be able to resign James Shields? I mean, at some point they've got to sign some of their guys long term. But but yeah, I mean it's it, you know it gives well, you some. They options. have Evan Longoria. Right, right. But well, you know they signed him like within a week of him being in the big leagues. Right. But I, I'm just saying. I mean, it, to me, I almost think you. You know, maybe you hold on to Shields and Price. You know, it would be interesting. You know, if you the problem is if you trade James Shields in, then I think it's almost self defeating because if you're trading James Shields, I don't think you're going to get necessarily a lot of big league ready talent for him. You know, if you're making the best deal possible, there's going to be prospects in there too. Um, so you know, so who knows? That would be an interesting question for the Rays. But I just again, if you know, you could wind up missing the playoffs by two or three games when you have a lefty who, who as you just said, you know, has as good of stuff as any lefty in the big leagues you know who's who's willing. you know maybe it's not uh you know you know whether it's as a starter whether it's as a reliever i just think that guy could help you now
1: and speaking of which it made me think of another guy who does appear in this list in the offseason that the rays because they have so much pitching they traded away matt garza and I, I don't think they've really missed matt garza that much because again they had jeremy Helkson ready to step in but in the garza trade the, the big pieces they got were uh it was thought to be in this order, Chris Archer and Hawk Julie. Well, in our mid season, top 50 Hawk Julie's right there at number 22 and Chris Archer's not in the top 50. So do you think that's kind of flipped a little bit as far as who's the most important prospect they picked up in that trade?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, it, you know, and then that's the nature of prospects. You know, these guys, you know, it's not like a straight line development path, obviously. And Hawk Julie has you know, been better defensively. I think his speed has played up a little bit more for the, you know, he's, yeah, ju Lee was just so young, too. I mean, last year was his first year in full season ball, and I just think he's looked like a more polished player. And, you know, if you go down the list uh, on our top 50, I mean, you have Machado, you have Profar, you have Hak-Ju Lee. Then um, uh, you have Gene Segura, who's not necessarily well, – oh, uh, Segura didn't make our list. I think yeah. we have three shortstops. Dee
1: Gordon, short stops. D. Gordon oh, also. Yeah, D.
0: Gordon, that's right, because Dee Gordon came back to the from the, from the majors to and, the minors. When we're doing the list, but there's four shortstops on the list. It's there are not, you know. And I did the BA in this early in the year. There are very few legitimate shortstop prospects in terms of guys well, you know are going to stay at shortstop. I mean, shoot, in this year's draft, there was one first round pick who we you know knew was going to stay at shortstop, and that was Francisco Lindor. those guys are hard to find, and, and so I think with well, Lee just you know getting more polished and more developed, you know, even if Chris Archer hadn't struggled with his command. I think you almost could argue the Hot Julie would have passed him anyway just because shortstops are so hard to find. And, and you make that point with that. If you'd
1: even, say, extended this down to, say, 75, you mentioned Gene Segura would have definitely been in there. Uh, and he's, the not, other, a either, he's not a lock to stay at short either. But he's not a lock to stay at short. Grant Green would work in there somewhere in the 50 to 100 list, but he's not a lock to stay at short. Uh, he won't. I don't think he has really any. I, I don't think, yeah, there's, not, there's a lot of Nick Franklin would probably be in there. He's not a lock to stay at short.
0: Yeah, and he's probably a second baseman pretty, pretty, pretty much. So I don't
1: think at this point, because of the struggles he's had this year, Christian Colon would be in there. But he was in there at the start of the season. He's probably a second baseman lock. Right. Time. So you're right. There's just not. I, I, I had several scouts repeat to me as I kind of ran our list by, you know, by them. They said, "Look, to me, I if I've got a good catcher or a good shortstop, I'm bumping them up, because if I've got a guy those, those positions who I really like and think can stick there." that has an added value just because it's so difficult to find those guys. I mean, look, you can debate whether the Pirates, it's a great first half or if they're actually independent, you know, in, in the race in the central, but right now they're in it. And they don't have a catcher right now because of injuries. But the reality of it is, is that if you look around baseball, there are several teams right now who do not really have a a catcher in the big league level that they are in any way comfortable with going out there every night with. and, That's, again, a catcher to me is another position where, and if you look, I think there are more catchers out there right now than there are shortstops, but if you look at our list, Jesus Montero's number eight, but I think we both agree, you understandably put C by his name right now, but that's not a long-term, he's not a long-term catcher. If you
0: were a catcher, I think you'd be arguing that he's number one on this list almost, but he's not, you know, he's not going to stick there. And then, going beyond that,
1: Devin Mezzarocco's number 15, which to me, Mezzarocco's a Mazoroca would be an intriguing prospect even if he wasn't a catcher, but the fact that he's a catcher makes him really intriguing because you're talking about a guy who now has a year and a half track record of hitting, and to go with it, he's the the scouting reports are that he's a solid catcher, not maybe you know Gold Glove defensively or anything, but he definitely should be able to stick back there, and again, that makes him extremely valuable in a in a league that always needs more catchers.
0: Oh, I, I definitely agree. And I used—I was impressed talking to him uh, at the futures game. I mean, he's—you know—there's another guy. I mean, you have a team that's on the verge of—you know—of making the playoffs. You know, they wouldn't make it at the season ended today. I mean, really, seems like the best thing—you know—the Reds kind of kill two birds with one stone would be if you could trade Ramon Hernandez and get—you know yeah, you're not going to get a superstar for him, but you know, get something useful but, for him, and no. and put Mesuraco in the lineup and bolster some other area of the team.
1: Well, I mean, and I don't think that these are two teams that make sense a whole lot for trades. But what would Ramon Hernandez look like for the Pirates or the Giants? I mean, that... yeah,
0: I mean he'd be he'd be very very useful. You know, it's I I don't I don't know what you'd necessarily get back from the Pirates, and I and I I, I don't know if the Reds would want to help the Pirates and vice versa. Right, I, I, that's but, the thing uh, is I the say, Giants, I, don't think I mean, if if you could get you know some you know maybe you throw something else in and get and get you know and you can never have enough pitching. Uh, you know, that might make a trade that would make a lot of sense for both clubs,
1: but. The other catchers on the list, so we got Mesoraco's at 15, and then you go down Will and Rosario's at 28, Travis D'Arnaud's at 20, 29, and those, that's it. That's the, that's the extent of, of catchers on the list. I, I think with Rosario, I, I, we were talking about with Mazzarocco, he'd be an intriguing prospect if he wasn't a catcher. I think it's safe to say Rosario's 28 on this list. If Rosario wasn't a catcher, he wouldn't be on this list.
0: No, you're right. I mean, and if he wasn't a catcher, I mean, I don't even know where you'd play him on the diamond because he's five he's 5'11", 200, and he doesn't, doesn't run well. So, I mean, you'd have, I guess, the world's shortest first baseman. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, he's not tearing it up, you know, with huge numbers this year. But I, I do give him a little slack. I mean, he had a knee injury last year. Um, you know, he is hitting for power. Uh, you know, and I think he's going to be, you know, as you point out, I mean, you, you put him in the context of a catcher. I think he's going to be a guy who is, you know, maybe just an average hitter. With you know good power for a catcher, you know, he might be like a 250 260 guy with you know seventeen to 20 homers and, and very good defensive skills and you know as you alluded to there, there's a lot of teams who would love that you know behind the plate so now I, I do want to ask a throw out a wild card question to you. so
1: which prospect or a couple of prospects on this list? do you think when we come around to the postseason top hundred when we're you know putting together the top hundred? Or, or, or even next year at this time, when we're doing the top 50 again. Who are some guys who, who really have the potential to even climb higher than they are on this list? Who are some guys who who have some helium to go? Use an old Josh Boyd phrase.
0: Um, I, I guess the guy who maybe jumps out the most, or maybe not the most, but the first guy who jumped to mind for that was Taiwan Walker. I, I just think he's very young, and he's got a lot to learn about pitching, but the arm is so good. You know, I, I don't think there's necessarily a big difference between Taiwan Walker's arm. And Carlos Martinez's arm, um, you know, I'd rather have Martinez, and I think our rankings reflect that. But I, I think Taiwan Walker's a guy who, if he keeps doing what he's doing and keeps getting better, that he's gonna, you know, you know, especially if we're talking midseason next year, you know, a lot of these guys ahead of him are going to get promoted. Taiwan Walker might be on the short list of the very best pitching prospects in baseball.
1: The, the, the guy who jumps out to me, I, you mentioned Martinez, which I, I think as we get to know more and more Martin, about Martinez, he may climb even a little higher. He's he's 18th on the list right now, but Stuff-wise, he compares pretty favorably about anybody. But we got Jerickson Profar number 12 on this list, and that's really high, and that's really aggressive for a guy who's in his first full pro season right now, you know, first full season pro season. But I I wouldn't be shocked at all for him to be a a top five prospect before too long, just from the standpoint of a young shortstop who can stick at the position, who has the tools for the position, and... Is showing really a, a very advanced approach is, for as a hitter for considering his age and also considering his relative inexperience as a hitter. I, I just, I, I he's a guy I've been blown away with more and more as the season's gone along, and nothing in the futures game or anything else has has dissuaded me from that.
0: What do you think? No, he was it? very impressive in the futures game. I, I guess I was more looking towards guys at the bottom of the list, but no, you're you're right. I mean, the guy's very young and very gifted, and, and he's another one of those rare legitimate shortstop prospects. Um, there's a guy, the number 50
1: guy on this list, Paul Goldschmidt, is one of the ones who's, who's made kind of, <laughs> he, he, he makes, uh, life interesting, uh, I guess is a good way to put it, but I, I know in, in the calls when I was talking to scouts, there, he was one of those divisive players who scouts have a whole lot of different opinions on. I, what did you get as far as uh, a feeling on, got, Goldschmidt led the miners in home runs last year, tied with Mike Moustakis. he's... Battling for the home run league lead again this year. Last year he did in the Cal League. This year he's doing it in Double A in the Southern League, which is a significantly uh, lessened hitting hitting environment compared to what he had last year. But but there's still a lot of doubts out there about him. What do you think about Goldschmidt?
0: Well, I just think he's a guy who's going to have to keep doing what he's doing because of his profile. He's a right-handed hitting first baseman. I'm not saying everybody's putting up numbers like Goldschmidt, but those guys, it's not hard to find a right handed hitting first baseman. And to make it in the big leagues, as a righty first baseman, you've really, really got to hit. And he's done that, but I think he's going to be the type of guy who, because he's an all bat guy, he's going to have to keep doing it as he goes up. You know, this year, you know, as you point out, I mean, he's in, in less of a hitters league. He's controlling the strikes zone a lot more. I think he's already walked more than he did last year. It is more impressive. But you know what? When this guy goes to AAA, he's going to have to do it again. Um, you, know, and it, you know, I guess, a, a, you know, I, I keep hitting on this theme. You know, you talk about the Diamondbacks. I mean, they're right there. I think if the season ended today, they'd be they're three games out of first and maybe five out of the wild card. And they're not getting much out of first base at all. So you begin to wonder, are they going to call Paul Goldschmidt up at some point this year? I mean, you, you, your options are, you know, Juan Miranda's not getting the job done. Xavier Nady's not getting the job done. Uh, you know, Russell Brannion, that didn't work very well. You know, it almost seems like, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, let's get this guy, you know, maybe, you know, maybe if you want to promote him to the big leagues right now, let's get him in AAA and see what he does over the next three or four weeks, and he might be able to help you over the last six weeks of this season. Well, with, with
1: Goldschmidt, the one thing that there's very little debate about, his, his power is legitimate. I mean, he has excellent power. It's That's not the question. The question is, is okay, is he a little stiff? Will he hit? continue to hit for average uh, as he moves up and all that? Will he strike out too much? But when you mentioned yeah, the the first baseman that the Diamondbacks have, he has better power. I, I wouldn't say he has better power than Branion because when it comes to raw power, Russ Branion was up there with about anybody. But but as far as the power, he, he possibly could give them a boost. And and really, the Diamondbacks, to me, we did not this year do – we looked at doing the organizations that really helped themselves, the organizations that maybe dipped over the first half of the season. But we, we – ran out of room to do that but to me the diamondbacks jump out as as an organization that really has had a great first half of the season if you look at not just goldschmidt but you look at tyler skaggs you look at really several of the guys that they have picked up in, in recent deals. david holmberg david Holberg's had a very good year i i command for david holberg is is exceptional for for a low a pitcher but they've got a number of guys who you look at and say okay this guy's a better prospect than he was at the start of the season. I think Skaggs, who who moved up to number nineteen on this list, is uh is is most definitely one of those guys to to single out. But Diamondbacks have had a really good year. Uh, any other teams jump out to you that you say, hey, that, that there's a really good first half for them?
0: Um you know, I think you know, the Cardinals have had, you know, a number of guys who've had good first halves. You know, and Miller Martinez have, have been everything that, that people, you know, hoped they would be, you know, if not more. You know, I think they jump out at me. Uh, you know, who else do you see in that regard? Yeah, you know, I think the Rangers, me, the, Rangers, the Rangers,
1: the Rangers are the team that the Rangers, the that the Rangers in the off-season we ranked the Rangers kind of middle of the pack and the reason we did that, the 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 argument for for doing that was look at how many of their top prospects are either getting ready to go into full season ball or are just you know, have just made it through low A. There, there were not a lot of upper level prospects, and really, the most significant upper level prospect they had, Martín Pérez, had had a poor year in Double A last year. Well, Martín Pérez has bounced back and had a, a a better year this year, and his stuff looks just as as good as it ever has. Jerks and Profar has gone from being a very intriguing prospect to one of the best prospects in the game. They've signed Leonis Martín, who. We have ranked number twenty-five. So I mean, he's one of the best prospects in the game. Now, this list does not include the two Latin guys they just signed for for mega money, but those guys will fit into their top ten, obviously. And go beyond that, they also that Myrtle Beach pitching staff they had at the start of the season, which a lot of those guys now have left Myrtle Beach. But you look at what Robbie Erland's done. This is a Robbie Erland followed up a great year last year with a great year this year is in Double A. Now you look at Neil Ramirez, who kind of been had been a uh, an OK prospect for them, former first rounder who kind of never really put it all together. Well, he put it together this year. He's jumped up to AAA. You look at Joe Weiland, who was kind of pitching right there with Robbie Erlin last year, really kind of thought of as a command guy. Well, he's got his command is exceptional. His control, especially, is exceptional for for a young pitcher. But stuff he's showing is is decent stuff as well. He's also made it to Double A. They just have, to me. Uh, a, a large number of intriguing pitchers now, and that doesn't include – there's still some, several guys in Myrtle Beach who are still in Myrtle Beach who are pretty intriguing. You add in the, the international talent that they've added, and I, I think that they're – at the end of the season, they're going to be making a, a decent argument to be in that discussion for the number one organization in our organization talent rankings.
0: Yeah, I think they, they will definitely be up near the top. I, I You know, with the international guys, I, I always think it's easy to get a little overexcited about them. And I think that's why we, you know, as you said on some of the more you know, guys they already had here, we we held back on. I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if Mazzara and Guzman, who are the two Dominicans they just signed for eight and a half million dollars, necessarily make their top ten. Even you know, Mazzara, the guy who they gave four point nine five million to, there was you know there were some questions on him. The the other guy may almost be more of a better prospect. And, right. No, even I, if we did count those guys, I would have a hard time putting them on this top fifty list. I, I don't think you would necessarily. And I don't think either list. of
1: them would be. I don't think either of them would be in our top fifty right in, their, in our top fifty right now. And I think you're right. I think that they could be. You know, they may end up being the number eight and number ten prospects in the organization, or the number nine and number eleven, or something like that. But to me, when you have a a, a top five, let's just say right now, okay, Martin Perez and profile Leonis Martin one two three and then you look at the depth that they have because you, you work in some Erland, Robbie Erland Joe Eland, guys like that Neil Ramirez uh, Tanner Shepard still qualifies although he you know if he can stay healthy and all that I, I just think it's a very deep organization now that they're not yeah yeah I think one of the signs of strength of that organization is is that the the two new uh, $8.5 million they signed, uh, you know, international signings, Guzman and all, they're not going to be top five prospects for them. Right, and, definitely. And putting them is there's a lot of organizations where they would be because you, you've you got to rank people in the top five. And especially in Guzman's case, a guy who was considered, if not the best, one of the two best hitting prospects in, in, in the international market, on the international market this year. There's a lot of organizations where he would be a top five prospect.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um,
1: now on the other end, when we're looking at, there weren't a whole lot of organizations that I would say have had really awful years. I, I think you could make the argument. I mean, the Royals farm system is not what it was at the start of the season, but there is some, there are some caveats to that. If you promote Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Aaron Crow, Danny Duffy, and well, Lewis Coleman, I mean, uh, Lewis Coleman, Tim Collins, pretty, pretty much their entire bullpen is. Uh, are almost, almost entirely rookies and second-year guys. If you do that, yes, the, that's going to be a pretty significant uh, talent uh, drop as it is. Then you throw in the injuries. They've had an injury to John Lamb, who's out for the year with uh, having Tommy John surgery. Uh, Will Myers has, is maybe slightly less intriguing as a prospect than he was at this time last year when he was still playing catcher. Um Mike Montgomery has not had a good year in Triple-A, although he's been a little bit better lately. Chris Dwyer's had a really bad year in Double-A. So so what do you think, You know, as far as the Royals, is it a significant step back, or is it kind of more what you would expect, considering
0: the guys going to the big leagues? Yeah, I think it's more what you'd expect. I mean, when you're number one... You know, just like you touched on with the Rangers, when you're number one, one of the factors we're going to have that, that's working in your favor is that you're going to have guys who are close to the big leagues. And, you know, and Then so you're going to lose guys. You know, I I do think they went out and they got a Bubba Starling in the draft, and I assume they'll sign him. So I, I still think there's a they lot of talent.
1: And there's an international signings too.
0: Yeah. You know, so they, I, th- I, th- I still think they have a good deal of talent. It's just, you know, some of it's moved on to the big leagues. Some of it's taken – you know, it, you know, maybe hasn't been as good this year as you'd hope or, you know, in case of I switched positions. But, you know, th- that just is what it is. And, you know, I, I still think it's a very good organization. And I still think it'll be a, a top 10 system probably uh, when all is said and done. Although it, it is so hard to figure out where t- where teams are going to rank outside, unless they're like at the very top or the very bottom because th- these things are so fluid. And, you know, we keep telling – I think we cannot emphasize this enough when we're talking about these type of guys – when we rank organizations, it's a sna- you know we we keep using this expression. It's a snapshot in time, and, and that's exactly what it is. It, it doesn't necessarily even reflect how good or how bad an uh, an organization is at developing and acquiring talent. There have been times where an organization has had a couple guys who've just stayed rookie eligible and it boosts their ranking, or an organization has a couple guys who go just over the rookie limit so we don't count them as prospects anymore, and so their ranking suffers. Or or, or you make a big trade and you you either acquire a lot of talent or, or you give up a lot of talent um, you know, and you change the dynamic of your big league club. But, uh, you know, the Royals, I think, are, are still, you know, I still think they're on course, J.J., to to contend in 2013. And, you know, their their farm system won't be ranked as high as this offseason. And you know, some of the stuff you've done, you know, some of the research you've done indicated this might have been the most talented farm system in the last 20 years coming into this year.
1: Well, I, the guy who jumps out to me is his <clears throat> Chris Dwyer is not as good a prospect as he was at the start of the season because at the start of the season, Dwyer had a very solid year last year. I think there was at least some consensus that he looked like he could be a power lefty starter. The command problems he's had this year, there's at least more of a thought out there that he's going to be a, a a power lefty reliever instead, which would be a significant hit on his status if that ends up being true. I'm a lot less concerned about Mike Montgomery. To me, Mike Montgomery's season this year reminds me an awful lot of what, if we we were when we're, if we'd been talking about Martin Perez at this time last year. Perez had a pretty bad first half of the season in double-A last year. And at the same time, he was the youngest player in double-A in at that time last year. Mike Montgomery's is one of the youngest players in triple-A this year. I think there has been more of an adjustment than maybe he would have expected. But from all reports, the stuff is still as good as the stuff was. And the same thing with Martin Perez. The stuff was as good as the stuff was before so to me with that with a guy with that who's that young I, I expect this to be more of a a correction than anything else the other thing the, the royals have done we have we have met is jake Odorizzi is has taken the step forward it's not even a, an unexpected step forward i think it's more like he took the step forward that we expected him to take but it's a lot he's a lot better prospect now pitching in double a than he was when he was pitching very well in the midwest league last year because he's done it against more advanced hitters so he takes a step up but I do think yeah I don't think there's any doubt that right now the the Royals would probably not be our number one uh, farm system which is a pretty significant change from the start of the season I think the Rays would definitely still be up there which the Rays are usually up there but the Rays would be up there I think the Rangers are, are probably in that discussion and again yeah there's it is a snapshot though what we're talking about right now may change pretty dramatically. Over the next two, three weeks, because we don't know what prospects may be dealt or what prospects may be acquired in uh, deadline deals, which will be fascinating to
0: see, obviously. No, exactly, exactly.
1: So, just looking as we kind of wrap this up, I did want to ask you about a guy who's in a system that you do. Matt Caesar was number 48 on this list. And I think I felt like we're getting re-
0: some ambient noise with gold, my Golden Retriever's barking in the background oh, here. Sorry. So. Yeah.
1: Well, Matt, you know, Matt Caesar was number 48 on this list, which I, I feel like, it, you know, we we started with him out of it. And then we kind of looked at it and it's like, you know what? No, I think we probably need to move him. We, we we said we probably need to move him into this list. But what do you see about Matt Caesar? And, you know, I got some questions in the chat. I'll, I guess I'll post them to you because you do our Cubs list. Who said, look at this guy, you know, considering his age, he's doing the Midwest League. Well, you know, big deal. Explain explain to the skeptics, I guess, why we, we we would have Matt Caesar at number 48 on this list.
0: Well, I think what what stands out to me the most about him, JJ, is that, and obviously he's a former football player, had a lot of success at Villanova, and could have been an NFL draft pick this year had he decided <laughs> to enter the NFL draft. That said, you know, a lot of times when you have these guys coming to baseball, they're athletes first and baseball players second. Where, you know, you can see the great physical tools but they don't really know how to apply them. And that's, you know, is the exact opposite of that. He's got these tremendous, you know, his best pure tool is his speed. You know, and he's still, you know, I mean, he's stolen 17 bases in the first half. I think he's still learning, you know, how to be, you know, a real dynamic base stealer. But that potential's there. You know, he's only been caught five times. He's not one of these guys who's just, you know, going on pure speed and getting picked off or getting thrown out. The, the speed's really playing up in the outfield as well, you know, in center. He... I know when the Cubs scouted him last spring, you know, like a lot of football players, because he's you know, bulked up a little bit for football, he had probably a 30 arm. And now I think the arm's closer to a 50. I mean, he's done a lot of long toss and, and work on his arm to get a better arm. But the, but the thing that jumps out about him the most is this guy can really, really hit. He had 347 in his pro debut last year. He came in this year to the Midwest League you know, after playing football in the fall. He didn't go to Instructional League. Uh, you know, came into the Midwest League, which is one of the toughest places to hit in the minors and he's hit you know 315 he's shown gap power and i just think you're talking about a guy who can hit for you know very high average steal a lot of bases play quality center field and there's some pop in there too i i could see this guy being a 15 home run guy when all is said and done
1: yeah i he's he's a very intriguing prospect uh and I, i i also recently promoted so if i remember correctly so uh We'll, we'll be seeing him doing his higher level competition, uh, I believe, in the uh, second half of the season. But, well, Jim, thank you for uh, for for joining us on this on this top 50 prospects talk. Do want to remind our listeners if you enjoy talk like this, we also have now the Baseball America show every Sunday night, uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. Make your adjustments so 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific on the uh on XM Sirius Radio on the MLB Radio Network I believe that's XM 89 I believe Sirius 209 so if you enjoy listening to prospect talk and you and you want more of it you can uh listen to that every Sunday and you can also call in we take calls so if you have a prospect question you want to you want to ask feel free to call in on on Sunday nights as well so for Jim Callis I'm JJ Cooper thanks for joining us thanks for the download and we'll talk to you next week